with the father oh he's just my dad no big deal you know like he, some people think that God is like his you know you go have a pint with him or something overly casual I'm like listen man he, he's the almighty one the all seeing one the one who in love will judge humanity and at the same time We should have such a loving relationship with him that we don't want to break his heart. If you've ever had someone in authority, your boss, a police officer, appear out of nowhere, you're startled. Even if you're doing nothing wrong, your heart skips a beat. We can often forget that God is our ultimate authority figure and have a casual attitude towards him when we should have fear and reverence. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 22 verse 14 with his continuing study entitled, The Ultimate Sacrifice. God's going to provide the lamb for himself. God's going to bring the worthy sacrifice. And so they went in verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of this place, The Lord Will Provide, or Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. You got to love Abraham's faith and obedience here. Very simply, he was there. He built the altar. He placed the wood on the altar. And then he bound his son. And he laid him on the altar on the wood. Now, imagine this. Abraham is 130 at the time or something. And Isaac is a 30-year-old. And it's so easy just to focus on the faith and the obedience of Abraham, but... What about the obedience, faith, and submission of Isaac? You don't think Isaac couldn't have body slammed his dad? Why was Isaac so compliant? Of course, because this is the perfect picture of Jesus. She said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up of my own free will. See, Isaac was equally faithful to God. He trusted that his father knew best. 
And no doubt, you can imagine Isaac. We don't have it in the text, but you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that in just a few hours, he was going to experience all of the wrath that God had against sin. Now you got to realize that Jesus being fully God from eternity past into eternity future, he knew the seriousness of what was coming. And he knew for the first time in his entire, in all of eternity, he was going to be separated from God. All of the, the weight was going to fall upon him and he ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested and he takes three of his disciples. He's like, listen, you guys, you guys just hang out with me for a moment. And it says he was deeply distressed. So much so that he was sweating drops of blood and he's crying out, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Could you imagine Isaac as his father is telling him to get on the wood, taking those straps and binding him down. Could you imagine the inner turmoil of Isaac? It's amazing that when Peter tried to protect Jesus from, from being arrested, Jesus is like, Peter, what are you doing? I could call down a legion of angels. He's saying, look, this is God's plan. When they mocked Jesus from the cross, when he was there and they said, if you are the son of God, get yourself down off of there. And Jesus could have come down with no problem. But God's glory and care for humanity kept him there. See, they mocked him not even understanding what God was up to. And people today, probably even people in this room, you're here, you've, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're like, I just don't get it. Listen, let me explain to you what, what you're missing. The reality that God loves you so much that he would punish Jesus in your place for all the mistakes you've made. And each one of us, if we're even a little bit self-reflective, we're like, we've made millions of mistakes. Some that everyone knows about and some that are just the motivations of our hearts. I always say, man, people don't even know the half of the garbage that's in my heart. Some of you seen some of it, and you're like, oh, hey, Daniel's got to grow there. But man, this, that's just the stuff that's above the surface. Modern psychologists will tell you that only 10% of a personality is above the surface for people to see. They call this the iceberg principle. 10% is seen because only 10% of an iceberg is above water. The other 90% is below the waterline. And what people know about us and what is really in the depths and the seats of who we are, our hearts, God sees all of it. We're all naked and open before him. God doesn't miss a thing. And God loves us so much that he would not punish us for our mistakes. But he said, look, you can't bear that weight, but my son can. And my son will because of the love that I have for you. I can get somebody not believing it, but... If you really understood it, you should want it to be true. Even if you haven't agreed with it, you should want this to be true. That the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe cares so much for you that he would send his son to die in your place so that you can live the life that we couldn't have anyway. That is the most glorious reality. That's why it's called the gospel, the good news. And all God asks 
asks of you and I is that we respond to this good news by simply saying thank you and receiving it. Just as somebody hands you a gift. You could say, well, listen, I don't want that gift. I've never met someone who does that. If I, if I show up at home and Obadiah, he just graduated from kindergarten, super cool guy. And I say, Obadiah, you graduated from kindergarten. I got a gift for you. He's not going to be like, well, I don't want it. <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. I don't really think it's a gift. Actually, I don't even think you're real, Dad. I mean, <laughs> you see how crazy it is when you think about it. God's saying, look, I love you so much and this is what you need. Maybe you didn't want it, but this is what you need. And all he asks us to do is say, thank you, God. Say, thank you. And that's what faith is. Faith is simply the hands that receive the free gift of God. And that gift is heralded to everyone. You can just take it. But so many people be like, I don't want it. Nope, no thanks. Nope, I don't think I need it. And it's amazing that when people don't want to receive it, then they're like, well, how can I believe in a God who's going to send people to hell? I mean, who wants to believe in such a God? And it's like, come on. You're like the person who has an illness that is, you're going to die because of it. And the doctor comes and says, look, here is the antidote. Just take it. And you're like, I don't, I don't think it's the antidote. Nope, nope. And then you die and you're mad at the doctor. It's highly illogical. The doctor, the great physician, the almighty God said, look, you are dying without this. So here it is. And we have to simply say thank you. And then we have life abundant here and eternal in the hereafter. But you can't say, I don't want to believe in Jesus because I don't believe in God. But, and how could I believe in a God who sent people to hell? Those two statements don't fit together. They're illogical. See, Jesus willingly went to the cross because he knew it was the way of God to save sinners. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated down at the right hand of the Father. This is our hope. So there he is, Isaac, bound Abraham raising, raising that knife up. And then in verse 11, the angel of the Lord, once again, that messenger of God, who's already spoken to Hagar twice, now speaks to Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham is still very open to God. Here I am, Lord. And he says, do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. He said, look, don't touch him. Leave him alone. I know now your faith has been seen in full blossom. We have revealed that you indeed fear God. We know fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. That's a prayer that I think we need to start praying. God, teach me to fear you. Now, we live in a day and age where people say, oh, well, who wants to fear God? Let me explain to you why we want to fear God. I believe the fear of God really has two focuses. One focus is that we fear God's authority and sovereignty. We had a candlelight vigil for the, the sheriff's department in our parking lot. 
It was really funny. It wasn't funny, but, you know, afterwards, I was sitting, I was talking with some of the sheriffs, and we were meeting them, and uh, one of the sheriffs comes to our church, and he kind of set it up, and I'm talking to one of these sheriffs, and he was telling me, he's like, there's nothing worse than having to get somewhere in a hurry when you're in a squad car. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, everybody just goes the speed limit. And so me, I'm just like, hey, this is an interesting conversation. I'm like, so would your recommendation be that when the squad car is behind me, I shouldn't go the speed limit because that would make them kind of upset? And he's like, well, I don't want to tell you to not do the speed limit. But when you're in a squad car, everybody obeys the laws completely. And, he, and he's like, and it's really frustrating. He's like, and I, I don't bring my wife in the squad car because she just gets crazy. And I thought to myself, I'm like, this is a great example. Nobody does the speed limit all the time, but except when there's a squad car behind you. Why? Because we know that that policeman has the authority to pull us over and give us a ticket. Right? When was the last time you were going the speed limit, you looked in your rearview mirror, you saw a cop, and you still got scared? It happens, right? Right? You're like, you're driving just fine. You're not doing anything wrong. But you look in your rearview mirror, you see that squad car, and the fear of God jumps into your heart. You're like, oh my goodness, there's a cop. You're looking at this, you get all nervous, your palms get sweaty. You haven't done anything wrong in 20 years. And you're like, <gasps> You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Why? Because you see that squad car, and he, that police officer, has the authority to just give you a ticket. We fear the authority of the police. How much more so should we fear the one who can't, doesn't only give us a ticket, but consented us to an eternal damnation? There is a very healthy fear. I love my kids, but when my son's doing something wrong and I give him the look, he stops cold. Well, I just called him just yesterday. You know what it's like when to get your little kids to eat the last bit of breakfast? So sure enough, you know, we're, we're fun parents, so we got like the, we got the canister of whipped cream. You know, so like you get almost all your oatmeal done, we're going to get you to finish it. We just bust the whipped cream canister out and put a little, uh, just, uh, just a little dab. You guys know, you guys like to eat like this, right? And our kids' teachers love this, you know, we just sugar them up before they get to school. But, but you know what happens when you put the little dab of whipped cream on top of the oatmeal to get Obadiah to finish the rest. He just licks the, the whipped cream right off and he waits for you to not look and then he takes a beeline for the, for the fridge to get the whipped cream canister and put a little more on there. And sure enough, I was doing something else and all of a sudden I heard the whipped cream canister hit the ground and Obadiah looked up. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? And he was just like silent. He got busted with the whipped cream, you know. I didn't even have to say anything. He just went and sat down, grabbed a spoon and started eating. <laughs> you know, and I love my son. And he gave me that little smile out of the corner of his face. He knew I wasn't going to get upset with him. But he got scared because he got busted. That's one way we fear God. We should fear God's authority to pass judgment on our lives. That's one way. The other way is that we should fear to break God's heart. It's one of the ways I talk to my kids. I'm like, look, whatever you do, you never make your mama cry. 
We should love God enough that we fear breaking his heart. I think between those two ways, that's a healthy way to view God. Because we don't just want to, you know, sometimes we get real casual with the father. Oh, he's just my dad. No big deal. You know, like some people think that God is like his, you know, you can go have a pint with him or something. Overly casual. I'm like, listen, man, he's the almighty one. The all-seeing one. The one who in love will judge humanity. And at the same time, we should have such a loving relationship with him that we don't want to break his heart. Because we love him. Abraham's fearing God. Now, I love this because look at what happens in verse 13. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. So Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of this place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God's provision of a lamb. And I love it. The name of that place, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. For on this mount, the Lord will provide. And all of this is pointing to some thousands years later when Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, is sacrificed. Romans 8, 32. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Now look at what happens in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Now, once again, we get a reiteration of God's covenant. Because Abraham has been obedient, blessings and multiplication, like the stars of heaven, like the sands of the seashores. We've already seen these in Genesis 15 and Genesis 13 and Genesis 17. All the nations will be blessed in you. We saw this in Genesis 12, 3. Genesis 18, 18. We're going to see it again in Genesis 26, 4. Over and over and over again. And we get Abraham returning to Beersheba, where we saw him worshiping last week. Now, glorious chapter, but it's not over yet. Look what happens in verse 20. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Huz, his firstborn. Buzz, his brother. If you ever have twin boys, Huz and Buzz waiting to be taken. That's not in the Bible. Just so you know, you're like, where's that? I always told Lynn, if we have twin boys, we're going to name them Huz and Buzz. And she just gives me the eye roll. I think it's great, you know, Huz and Buzz, never, I'll keep going. <laughs> Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlash, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. 
These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose name was Remah, bore Teba, Gahem, Tahash, and Ma'acha. Now, you might say to yourself, man, this was a great chapter. Why do we get a list of names? And I'm here to tell you that this has to be right here. Think about it. Abraham, the father, was asked to offer his son, right? And we know all of this is a picture of God offering Jesus, right? Now we get this genealogy about the family of Nahor, right? And Nahor is Abraham's brother. Now, what's all this about? Isaac was as if he was dead, but God provided. And in resurrection, when God sacrificed Jesus and Jesus rose from the dead, what was born? The church, the bride of Christ. And right there in verse 23, and Bethuel begot Rebekah. And we're going to be seeing in chapter 24 that Isaac is going to be wed to a gal named Rebekah. Right here. So this genealogy, it's perfect because you have the father offering the son, the son in a figurative sense here, realistically for Jesus is risen from the dead. And right after that, we need to find the bride. It's the perfect picture. It's the perfect picture. I mean, you do not have the death and resurrection without the birth of the bride of Christ, the people of God, those who are called into covenant relationship with the risen and glorious Son of God. So next time you see a list of names in the Bible, don't just jump over and say, I wonder why this is here. It's amazing. Whoever compiled the book of Genesis and the whole Pentateuch, they didn't even realize some of the things that they were doing. They didn't even have the whole picture. But the Spirit of God inspiring them to pen these things and put them together knows exactly what he's doing. They're needed. You can't have the death and resurrection picture of Jesus without the birth and the entrance of the bride. It has to be here. And it's perfect. As God's word always is. I want to close with just an application. We've talked about Jesus. We've seen his willingly giving himself. But all of this, all of this points to the entrance of the bride. And if you are here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, then we are the bride of Christ. Now, I know for some of us guys, it's just really weird talking that way. Not looking to be a bride to any other guy. But really, real men are the bride of Jesus. Straight up. I know it's a weird way to say it, especially in this environment that we live in. But it's true. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are part of the family of God. The Holy Spirit sealing your life is the engagement ring for the return of Jesus. If you're in here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you right where you are, just to say, God, thank you. I receive. I receive this gift. I don't even understand it, but I just say thank you, God. Jesus is 
Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Jesus is Real Radio. I realize that each one of us is in process. We're on a journey. And for some of you right now, you've been listening to the radio program, but you have things in your life that dishonor God and you know it. Maybe you're going to go home and you're going to do drugs. Maybe you're going to go home and you're going to get drunk. Maybe you're sexually immoral. Whatever it is, listen. That maybe has been who you have been, but it does not need to be who you are going forward. The Bible calls this repentance. It's when we turn from going our own way and we turn to God. And there are some of you listening right now, you believe in Jesus, but you need to turn back to God because what you are doing is sinful and wrong. And I'm here to encourage you. I'm a brother on the journey saying, listen, stop doing what you're doing and turn to the Lord. You Maybe you need to go talk to a pastor or get in touch with us through JesusIsRealRadio.com. We would love to walk with you to see your life be a living testimony of the finished work of Jesus. Now, for others of you, you've never said yes to Jesus before, and maybe you have those same struggles, but you have never said, I believe in Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. You need to say yes to Jesus right now. This moment, you do not want to let it pass. So in the quiet places of your own heart, God loves you, and He wants to forgive you of your sin. God wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit. God created you for so much more than what you're experiencing right now and God wants to share his abundant and eternal life with you. So just simply say yes to Jesus right where you are right now. God hears you and loves you and we're excited for you. God bless you.